where the needs of the world and your talents cross, there lies your vocation. And I think what that feels like is it's it's just like an intrinsic, for me, like pull or sense of energy or like warmth that I'm going in the right direction. You're listening to the She Is Fierce podcast. I'm Kelly Youngs, the founder of She Is Fierce, a global women's network that elevates women's stories and gives you the tools and connections you need to live on purpose. On our podcast, you'll hear the inspiring stories of professionals and entrepreneurs who have overcome challenges and built purpose-filled lives. And you'll get a behind-the-scenes look at my mission-driven business and learn how to brand and grow your own. Hey, everyone. I am so thrilled to be here today speaking with Dr. Looney D. She is a board-certified family medicine physician who joined our local health partners, Flagler Health Plus, after practicing family medicine at University Hospitals and Lake Health Mentor Family Practice in the greater Cleveland area. She has a unique story that I'm excited to get into. After receiving her medical degree from Northeast Ohio Medical University, she completed her residency in Cleveland and was education co-chief and centered pregnancy leader and adjunct course instructor. So she has got a lot going on. Mm-hmm. I asked Dr. Looney D to join us and share her wisdom as a family medicine physician at Flagler Health Plus, who meets with women day in and day out and knows the common struggles women are dealing with. In addition to her role as a doctor, she is the mom to a two and a half year old and a five month old, both boys. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. <laughs> so Dr. Looney D, thank you so much for joining yeah, us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Well, today's conversation is really about how we take care of ourselves physically. Mm-hmm. How do we care for the container that holds all of our energy, our ambitions, mm-hmm. our hopes, our dreams? And I know within She Is Fierce, and I've shared this with you privately, Women are constantly talking about how much we have to do, right? There are a lot of external things happening in our world. And today we're going to talk about how do we care for ourselves and how do we care for that container that is walking around trying to make all of these things happen. Mm -hmm. But before we get into that, I want to talk a little bit about you. So, you know, we share every woman's story who is on our podcast or on our stage. We ask them to share just a little bit of who they are and how you became Mm -hmm. this phenomenal doctor, this mom who's out there making all of these incredible things happen. So can I ask you to share a little bit of your unique story of how you got into medicine? Because I know you took a really winding path to get there. I never thought I would go into medicine. It wasn't something that was at the forefront of my mind. Um, I actually did my undergraduate degree at a liberal arts school in California, so I did I studied psychology and Latin American studies um, and was very into sort of social justice education, actually. Um, and then after college, I lived in El Salvador oh, wow. um, for two years working with a really wonderful program down there that sought to educate U.S. college students about the realities of El Salvador. Just a beautiful country with really wonderful people there. 
Um, and so when I came back to the U.S., I was sort of discerning what to do. And I started a master's program, actually, at the University of Massachusetts in community and social psychology. So I explained that to folks as sort of the psychology of community organizing. So what communities do I belong to and how do I want to serve them? And I think one thing that was really clear to me from the beginning is that the community that I most identify with is just the, the community of humanity um, and people everywhere, regardless of their race or their gender, or their socioeconomic class or their faith background. Um, I really, I think from my time abroad, saw myself as a pretty global citizen. And so thinking about how to take care of people in a, it, the best I can. And I started thinking about medicine. I did my internship during my master's degree at a community health center um, in Massachusetts that was really focused on serving immigrants and people with HIV and AIDS. Aww. And I loved the way that they um, took care of people and really invited patients into uh, the health center and saw taking care of the body as just one way of really taking care of people. And I looked at the way that their health center worked as a team from physicians to nurses to social workers and saw that all aspects of health are required to enjoy physical health. Um, and so I, I went to a really lovely medical school that has a big commitment to primary care um, and primary care particularly in underserved communities uh, which was my goal and so I did my med school there and then I stayed and did my residency in Cleveland at our county safety net hospital um, with a great super dedicated um, group of family docs who are taking care of some really really hard cases and um, it was great so you know, I think from that, um, my, you know, I became pretty committed to the idea that my community that I belong to is people who want to take care of, um, you know, underserved or underprivileged Aww. patients um, and do so with a bent towards social justice. Uh, and, you know, one one way that I can do that is to help take care of their, their physical health or their, or their bodies, which is no easy task. One of the things that I love about your story and that I am drawn to is something that you shared with me before we came into this interview, and that is really being led by your values. And so I wanted to ask you if you would just share what that really means to you. So um, one of the questions that we always ask on our podcast is what does purpose mean to you? And so as I was kind of reflecting on our what we were going to talk about in our conversation, for me, it sounded like that is really like the driving sense of purpose for you is leading by your values. Can you talk about how you kind of came to believe that and then how you live that out? Yeah. So I remember when I was in undergrad and I really was reflecting on vocation um, and what is a vocation and what does it mean and what does it feel like and how do you do it? Um, and one quote. I really, I really love quotes. Um, so one quote that really summed it up well for me um, is where the needs of the world and your talents cross, there lies your vocation. Um, and I think what that feels like is it's, it's just like an intrinsic for me, like pull um, or sense of energy or like warmth 
that I'm going in the right direction. Um, and I get that that's very ambiguous. And it's funny because in medicine, you know, I tend to be surrounded by people who love like data and facts and science and all, you know, all of those things are super important. And the idea of discerning your vocation or your purpose is very like not fact-based um, and not data-based and it can change. Um, but, you know, I think one thing that women are gifted with, um, and men too, uh, is the sense of intuition. Um, and I really just felt, you know, from, you know, I was just talking with my husband about this, like the place where I went to, did my undergrad, it was just a really strong sense that this is where I should be. The decision to go into medicine, it was like this almost pummeling force that there was no obstacle that I couldn't find a solution to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, the other like piece around purpose that I would offer, and I'm sure that there's people out there that identify with this. Um, when I was considering my first job right out of residency, I felt this really, I was really, really torn about staying and practicing at the community a hospital where I did residency, which is very committed to taking care of underserved patients, um, versus moving to a different practice location. And I knew we were getting ready to start a family and that that was going to be a a big deal. Um, And so I talked with one of my mentors there. and I was like, you know, I just can't imagine not working in this setting, but I feel like I'm going to need some mental and emotional bandwidth um, cleared up to start a family. And he was like, you know, Elizabeth, he's like, it's okay to take a step back. He said, you know, like the fight for social justice is going to be here. And when you're ready to step back in, you can do that. And so I made the decision to sort of transition into a little bit more of a low key practice, which has really freed me up and enabled me to um, just have a lot more mental and emotional capacity to be a mom right now. Um, but it's always at the back of my mind. And so my, my purpose at the moment right now is, you know, being a great mom, trying to be a good wife, good daughter, good friend, good doctor. Um, and so the way I'm doing that right now looks different than how I was doing it 10 years ago. Um, so I think purpose to get to your question, you know, back to your question, it, for me, it's just sort of a guiding feeling. Um, but it can change in terms of what, the purpose or the goal-directed actions towards purpose are. Um, And I think for any woman mom who's tried to suddenly juggle all of these things, we'll find that uh, fidelity to purpose can be a very fluid thing um, in terms of of what it looks like and how we practice it. Um, So often we think of purpose as this like hard and fast rule. There's something that gives me a sense of purpose. And you're absolutely right. Throughout our lives, our goals change, our mission changes, the mm-hmm. things that we have to pay attention to change, sometimes unintentionally and sometimes intentionally. So I think that's a really powerful message. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it brings me back to um, our next part of our conversation about physical wellness, because even in your original uh, story that you shared about how you got into medicine, you talked about how you originally had kind of been thinking about mental health, you had been going down a different path. And, um, and then you were drawn to caring for the physical body, right? Seeing that as kind of the core of caring for yourself and caring for others. So I want to ask for some of your wisdom as a family physician with the knowledge that we will have literally thousands of women listen to our conversation who, um, 
inevitably will have different kinds of physical concerns, right? So for some women, it will be a chronic illness. For some people, it will be um, something very serious that they're dealing with. For others, it's just, oh, I just wish I had more energy or I wish I could lose weight. Like there's so many different things Mm -hmm. that I'm sure you're dealing with every single day, right? You have Mm -hmm. different people come in with different concerns. Mm -hmm. And yet... I am guessing, because I am not a physician, but I am guessing that there are very common um, complaints that women in particular come into your office with. And I would love to kind of explore what those are. And then from your perspective, as both a woman who is actually dealing with these things in real life, right? Mm -hmm. So dealing with some of the things we talked about, being overwhelmed, having tons of things to do, but also um, wanting to care for yourself physically, And then also having so many different people come in and share their concerns. Can you talk a little bit about what the common concerns are, right? So what are the things that you see all the time that you're just like, oh, I just wish that people knew that everybody's dealing with this, first of all. But also, you know, there might be, I don't know if they're simple solutions, but there might be solutions that we could all kind of explore. So I know that's a big question, but I would love to kind of start with that really broad question and then talk about some of the specifics. Sure. Uh, I will do my best to to answer those things. I think there's probably three points that would be helpful and possibly high yield. Um, And the first is don't write it off. Um, I I hear over and over and over again from women, um, I think I'm just run down from motherhood. So women who are, they're feeling tired, they're feeling anxious, they can't sleep, they have no energy during the day, um, trouble focusing, concentrating, all of those things. Um, I'll over and over and over again, when women do eventually come in, they just say like, I thought that that was just normal. Um, and that that is, that that is just motherhood. And it may very well be that it's just life. However, um, we know uh, statistically and data-wise, women's health concerns tend to get written off, overlooked, and flat out ignored, um, to the point sometimes where we can really miss important things. Um, with heart disease, for example, which is which is actually the number one killer of women, it's it's not breast cancer um, or ovarian cancer. Not that all of those things don't happen, but numbers-wise, heart disease is the number one thing. Um, that women are, are going to suffer from. And the symptoms are very, very quiet, and they're not the same as symptoms in men. And so I would say the number, the first thing, if you're thinking about how to take care of your physical body, um, is to listen to it and don't write off your concern as just, I'm a busy mom. Please come in and talk to me about it or talk to your doctor about it. And we can help you figure out if it is indeed just, just motherhood. But I would never hang my hat on that um, for someone that I had just met who had something that was concerning them physically. The, the body is a great megaphone for our emotions. So it is true that stress and anxiety and depression can manifest with physical symptoms because um, biology just knows that sometimes that's what it takes to get our attention. Um, but let me or one of my colleagues you know, help you work through those things and don't just diagnose yourself um, because we don't want to write off something that could be serious or um, might need looked into. And the vast majority of the time, it won't be serious or it'll be something that's very treatable. Um, So don't let fear keep you out of the doctor's office either. 
So I love that phrase. I've never heard that before, that the body is a megaphone. I'm going to write that down later. I love it. Um, and it's so true. You know, just thinking, as you were saying, that I was like envisioning all of these different things for myself and other people I know where your physical well-being is so tied up with all of the other things, right? And your mental health and all of those things. Uh, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you talked about heart disease because last year, um, I and She is Fierce, we participated in the Go, Go Red for Women mm-hmm. and we raised $10,000, which was amazing for that campaign. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that motivated me to do it was a commercial that I think came out like 12 or 13 years ago. It came out a long time ago, maybe even before I had kids. And it um, had Elizabeth Banks in it. And she was like basically just a mom dealing with her family in the morning and trying to get the kids ready. And she's passing the husband his smoothie and everybody's getting coordinated. And she was having a heart attack and didn't even realize it. Right. And it's a funny skit, but it stuck with me at the time. Cause even I think before I had children, I was like, Oh yeah, I totally relate to this woman. Right. And then of course now with children, which now you are, you are there, you can relate to. I'm like, Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, I can a million times, uh, imagine myself going through my day, having a heart attack and just thinking like, got to get to the next thing. So I love, um, I always think of that, but I love how you kind of framed that up for us as the body is a megaphone. I think that's, that's Mm -hmm. a really cool way to think about it. Um, and so I know you shared with me that women come in and not only are they dealing with our own physical health, right? But we are also caring for everybody else. So I just shared the example Caring, if you're a mom, you're caring for your children, you're caring for your partner, even even like responsible adults in your life, we are likely concerned and spending time and effort worrying about their physical and mental well-being. So one of the questions I want to ask you is kind of a two-part question, and that is, how do you recommend when women come into you that women take care of their family wellness, because we know women make about 90% of health purchasing decisions, right? And then secondly, how how can they, or how do you recommend they put themselves first in that equation? Because I think that's one of the things that I hear so often, right? The example of put on your mask first mm-hmm. uh, to take care of others. And yet in real life, mm-hmm. that often seems impossible. And I know with the many women that I deal with every day, that seems to be just an ongoing theme. And I'm not dealing with people talking about their chronic illnesses. So I can only imagine that you have a much deeper level of insight into what do women really need to do in order to care for themselves first to be able to care for others? Mm -hmm. Um, That is a great question. And I am a huge fan of delegating. one of the ways that most, uh, you know, successful, satisfi- satisfied, sane women um, get to where they are in life is delegating. We can't do everything ourselves. So if there's a task that someone else can do, um, especially if that person is better at it than I am, I delegate it. So in terms of taking care of your family, delegate that to to your doctors and your pediatricians. Um you know, wellness exams, this is a plug for annual wellness exams, rather than trying to diagnose and catch up, uh, guess on what's going on with people, just make an appointment, you know, 
and, and moms, we're, we're pretty good about this, frankly. I'm, I'm saying moms because it's usually moms. Um, you know, we are great at getting our kids to their annual wellness exams and getting their shots. Um, delegate that worry um, to your to your pediatrician or your, or your oh. family doc. Um, same thing for yourself. Bring yourself in for your annual wellness exams if you need to make your husband's appointments do that for him you know <laughs> have him make his own appointments or, or or her own appointments whoever your partner is uh i, I think just having and I'm, I'm coming from a a bent here obviously but having a good relationship with a family doc or a pediatrician or an OBGYN that you trust to take care of your wellness um and your family's wellness helps delegate that worry oh. um and you know i always really feel for parents who are obviously so anxious about their kids health and just can't seem to let the worry go that something's wrong and it takes a lot of trust building with a family to get to the point where I can just say I'm telling you like this kid's okay they're going to be okay this is a cold and they're going to get over it Um, but in order for a mom or a dad or a parent whomever to really hear that um, it takes a lot of trust and so one of the things I would love for us as moms to get better at delegating um, is just the worry. Um, but luckily, you know, there might not be somebody that can take away the worry of your finances or take away the worry of your professional career or whatever it is. But there is a whole profession out there. And like our job is to take that worry from you that something is wrong. Um, and not that we're not human and infallible, um, but if you have a, a doc that you really trust, um, hopefully a big part of you taking care of your family can be letting us do the worry. Um, you just need to get in regularly for your visits. Well, I have to say, I, I really think you're like dropping wisdom here in many <laughs> different ways because I love how you're reframing a lot of the conversations that um, I know I have had about healthcare mm-hmm. and, um, you know, even at our past events that we've kind of heard many of the the pieces of advice that you're giving, but I like how you are kind of reframing the way that we think about it, right? Mm-hmm. So instead of thinking, which is, I'll be honest, what I think as a mom who's doing mm-hmm. all the things, I have to do this thing because I'm, you know, I care about my child or I'm obligated to do this thing, or I have to go for my um, breast exam because my mom mm-hmm. had breast cancer, right? Mm-hmm. I have to do these things mm-hmm. to reframe it as I'm going to delegate this worry mm-hmm. to somebody else. Mm-hmm. I think that's a, a beautiful way to think about how are we creating a relationship yeah. with the people yeah. in healthcare as opposed to I have to make an appointment. It's another thing mm-hmm. I have to do, right? Mm-hmm. Which I think often becomes how we think about our healthcare unless, mm-hmm. unless there is something um, immediately tangible going on that we have yeah. to deal with. And I would say there's, um, the, and I, you know, I work on this, I struggle with this myself at times, of course. Um, but the, the paradox there is we do all of these things because we have to do them. We have to get to the appointments. We have to get our mammograms. We have to get our paps. Our kids have to get their vaccines. Um, but we don't fully relinquish the control or anxiety um, that a reassuring um, visit or a test is is meant to give us. And I think for people who are used, you know, we're talking about high-functioning women who are used to us being the locus of control in our lives, it's just counterintuitive to do that. And that's why I say, you know, it, it takes time to trust that you're being taken care of. And, you know, there's 
absolutely a question of finding the right provider and the right fit um, yeah. where you feel that trust. Um, and I'm not saying don't be an advocate and an active agent in your healthcare plan. Um, but if you're going to go through the rigmarole and the stress of getting all these things done, um, then I, you know, I would offer you or encourage you to relax into the peace of mind that those reassuring things are meant to offer. Um, um, and just a quick plug for screenings, um, and this is maybe the second part of your question of, of how do we do that and what should we do to take care yeah, of Yeah, on a really practical level, right? We, we can all agree philosophically, yes, we should do these things. We should, we should make the appointments. We should take care of ourselves. But on a really practical level, how and what should women yeah. be doing to get these things done? Yeah, just a few things for, for otherwise healthy women. Um, pap smears, obviously, uh, starting at age 21 for all women, sort of regardless of sexual activity and certainly after they've become sexually active. Uh, the great thing about paps, I tell this to women all the time, we don't need to do them annually anymore because now we're screening for HPV. So you can get a... Uh, Given that your pap is normal between the ages of 21 and 30, they're every three years. Um, and then after the age of 30, uh, you can actually expand them out to every five. Um, so just go get it done. Um, there's some nuances there uh, to you know, your history of paps and whatnot. But in general, as a blanket statement, every three and then every five years um, for paps. Um, mammograms starting at age 40. Typically, um, disclaimer, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force actually recommends or says that mammograms starting at age 50 is okay, but there's a few professional societies, including American College of Gynecology, American College of Radiology, who do recommend screening mammograms starting at 40, um, regardless of family history, um, every, every year, every two years. Um, so that's a conversation you can have with your doctor. And then the other big one is colon cancer screening. Um, the guidelines were actually just changed, and that's now recommended at 45. Um, again, assuming a normal family history. Um, but, yep, starting at 45, get the colonoscopy. If they're normal, you can do them every 10 years. And then, you know, just an annual wellness exam where we would tailor, you know, do you need a cholesterol panel? Are we looking after your thyroid sugar? That sort of stuff. Um, oh. But, again, delegating the worry. If you go see your primary doc once a year, they'll tell you what you need and what you're due for really structuring it and um, thinking about, okay, what do I need to do each year? What do I need to do every three years? Kind of really just putting it on your calendar, right? Or scheduling it in, as you said, delegating that worry to someone you really trust as a yeah. physician to give you the updates and to yeah. know when and how you should be doing these yeah. things. And I will say, you know, um, in our conversations together, and then also, um, honestly, with many of the other physicians that I've talked to with Flagler Health Plus, I think that there is a consistency of um, being able to think about your your wellness beyond just an appointment, right? Mm -hmm. And I love the way you're kind of framing that conversation for us. So not only are you meeting with a doctor about a specific concern, or not only are you going in for a checkup, but also there are other pieces and other elements of your overall wellness that you should be concerned about, or you should be at least caring for. And yeah. looking towards your doctor to kind of be on your team with that instead of a Absolutely. person I go and meet another meeting, right? Something is wrong. And this is right. a very like U.S. specific um, approach to healthcare. I mean, in many parts of the world, the idea of preventative care is not a thing, um, and you only go to the doctor when something is wrong. 
Um, and those of us in primary care would love nothing more than to change that idea. Um, and, you know, the, the best antidote to illness is staying healthy. And of Aww. course, there's absolutely things beyond our control. Um, and there's genetics and there's accidents and there's just, you know, misfortune. Um, and people are just are going to get sick. Um, but for those of us that are fortunate enough to um, have good health at the moment, then let us help you take care of that. I always tell my patients in their 20s and 30s and 40s, now is the time to implement good, healthy habits that will completely change how you age. Um, it's much more difficult to deal with or undo um, bad health habits in your 50s and 60s than it is in your 20s. This is something I want to just get better at talking to patients about. There's just a lot of metabolic and physical detriments that go with being overweight that when we're in our 20s and 30s and 40s may be able to just live with, but when we're, we start getting into issues with high blood pressure and diabetes and joint issues and mobility, it's uh, just really hard to age um, being very overweight. And so yeah. I could intervene, you know, in those earlier decades and help women um, and men, you know, get to a healthy body weight, it will, it will change the course of, of how they age potentially. And I describe it as like, imagine a huge ship that we're trying to turn, you know, the ship is going this way. If we do nothing, it's going to head down this way. But I would like to like invest one or two or five or 10 years with you right now and just put in this big effort and change the way that that that, that ship is going. Oh. With that in mind, whether it's about losing weight or just general wellness for people who maybe aren't so concerned about weight, but are like, oh, I have no energy or, oh, I just feel drained or, you know, whatever those concerns are, those things that are not chronic illness, not a serious concern, mm -hmm. but are really draining on them every day. What um, kind of general wellness advice do you have for the women who come into your practice that you see consistently? And as you shared, as you get to know them and as you guys kind of trust each other, you're able to maybe discern some of the patterns and habits that women should be kind of taking on yeah. in order to, to show up with that, that sense of wellness. So there's a few staples to a healthy lifestyle that um, bode well for anybody. And I preface this whole conversation with this, these things are hard to do. Mm. Um, you know, we can like spew wellness advice all day, but I think it's important just to start by saying it's hard to do these things in practice. Um, <laughs> one of my other favorite quotes, and then I'll get to like the practical wellness things is, um, <laughs> you know, as, as moms, oftentimes there's days where we're just not good at everything. So like on the days that I'm a great doctor, I'm like, I wasn't a really great mom today. Um, and on the days that I was like a super great mom, I was like, I didn't get any clinical reading done, you know? So, um, around the days that I take care of myself, something else feels like it's going to suffer a little bit. So just knowing that and going into like a commitment to wellness with, it's not going to be all day, every day. And there's going to feel days, be days where you feel like you have to put your wellness at the expense of something else. Um, and that's okay. And this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and it's about adopting healthy habits. So all of that said, um, I really can't stress the, enough the importance of good sleep. 
Um, we know from the time that babies are born up through the entirety of the lifespan, sleep is hugely important to health. Um, one of the first things if, if kids come in, for example, and they're struggling with focus or concentration or they're overstimulated during the day, um, the first question is how many hours a night are they sleeping? Um, wow. And, you know, by the time we reach adulthood, at least a minimum of six hours of restful sleep a night is needed, ideally eight. Um, seven to eight is really what adults need um, on a consistent basis to be functioning well. Um, and so don't let that be something that you compromise. Don't cut into your sleep on a regular basis to get something else done. Um, um, make Protect that time um, and make that important. Now, there's intrinsic issues that keep people from sleeping, insomnia and other things like that, one of the many things you can talk to your primary care doctor about. Um, but make a commitment um, to make good sleep a habit. Sleep in a dark, quiet room. Go to bed every night at around the same time. Wind down. Put the phone away. You know, um, the kind of purest recommendation is no screen time two hours before bed. Um, mm. I realize that's not possible or practical oftentimes, um, but just be aware, you know, um, a lot of the LED lights are going to inhibit melatonin release, which is going to make it hard for us to fall asleep. Um, so I would say commitment to good good sleep hygiene is important. Um, you know, we always say the bedroom should be for sleep and for sex. That's it. Um, don't make it be like where you do your work at night on your laptop mm -hmm. um, or anything like that. So just kind of commitment to healthy sleep. Generally eating a balanced diet, um, I struggle with this a lot I was just thinking last night like when you come home and it's 5 30 and both kids um, and you and your partner are hungry and there's no plans for dinner what do you do um, you're not gonna sit and look up a healthy recipe and go to Publix at six o'clock you know Aww. you're gonna cook what it what there is and like that's macaroni and cheese and hot dogs it's a chapter of life for those of us with young kids for the moment um, that, that we're in um, that said you know Again, lifelong thinking about the marathon here, mindfulness and making a commitment to just eating um, nutritious, healthy food. Um, and when you are eating crappy food, that's fine. Have, have having smaller portions. Um, having healthy snacks in the house. Um, if you are, if you have the wherewithal, I don't at the moment. If you have the wherewithal to do a meal plan every week, um, the times in my life when I've eaten healthiest, it's been when I had my meals planned, you know, at the beginning of the week and did some grocery shopping, um, at least two to three meals. So that's one thing that can help you if you're well. And I, I, I would say like the last sort of like tangible wellness thing, um, you know, it's about having healthy people in your life. We talked a little bit yesterday about setting boundaries and how hard that is to do and how we want to take on um, just caring and loving. Um, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of women, we express our, our love in practical ways in terms of what can I do for you? How can I help? If we have to like phrase, like if I feel like if my life were to be phrased in one question, it would be, how can I help? Um, mm -hmm. And we want to take that on for people. And so, you know, just being mindful of who are the people in my life that bring me energy and joy. Um, and if I'm asking myself too many times in, in one particular relationship, how can I help? And I'm doing all the helping, then it's, it might be time to step back a little bit. So, you know, good sleep, healthy eating, healthy, healthy relationships. Um, and of course, just a quick plug for physical exercise. You don't need to go out and train for a marathon. You don't need to run 26 miles to be in good shape. 
if you can get a 30-minute walk-in before or after dinner a few days a week and make that a habit, make that a hobby, that's a great place to start. I'm grateful for all of your wellness advice. (laughs) And as we um, kind of close up our conversation, one of the questions that I always ask and that I would love to pose to you as you have kind of reframed many things in this conversation is just, is there any piece of advice, any wisdom that you would want other women to know? Um, I would say the most important thing is you are not alone. Um, Mm. Motherhood can be very isolating, very lonely, um, especially, especially with the pandemic recently. I, I'm going to venture to say that the, um, the groundwork for long-term bonds was, was really hurt by that. Um, you know, those of us that went through infanthood and, you know, early childhood for the first time with kiddos during the pandemic, it was pretty lonely. Um, and what I found is we're sort of coming out of that is just an ability to connect and relate, um, with women about every aspect of motherhood. And I'm like, where has this been the last three years? Like I needed to laugh about that. And even if it's to your doctor, I can't tell you how many times people, women come in and the door closes and the waterworks just kind of around. They're like, I just haven't been able to talk about this with anybody. Come talk to me about it. You know, I am a repository for all of those things that you feel like you can't share with anyone else. Um, you know, but, and, and there's, and I, and I can tell you from hearing stories over and over and over again, that whatever it is you're going through, you're not alone in it. You know, find someone or people that, that you can share those things with. Because uh, it's much better to do it with somebody else. Oh, well, that was a beautiful way to end mm-hmm. our conversation and a wonderful message to end on. So Dr. Elizabeth Looney-D, thank you again for your time and for being a part of our She is Fierce podcast. Thank you, Kelly. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the She is Fierce podcast. Join our community of fierce female leaders and women on the rise who are ready to level up, make more money, find more joy, and make their mark in the world inside our She is Fierce membership, our high-level CEO mastermind circle for entrepreneurs, or at one of our sold-out live events. Choose how you want to get involved at sheisfiercehq.com.